0: I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. These readings today are halfway through Lent, and um, more viscerally, we are a year into the, the long Lent of the pandemic safety restrictions. And uh, that's the context in which I interpret them. And, and from the perspective of the middle of Lent, the middle of that season of deprivation... Um, This is, to me, uh, an exploration of the big-picture themes of Christianity. We have salvation and condemnation. We have disobedience and obedience. We have darkness and light. We have, ultimately, in all of the readings, death and life. And the great image, of course, is from the Old Testament reading of the Israelites on their journey dying of snakebite and God giving them this image of the snake on the stick For them to look at, and by looking upon it, they are cured of snakebite. And that gets picked up in the Gospels to say that Jesus is like that spiritually. That for those of us spiritually dying of snakebite, we look upon Jesus. we, We just cast our eyes up to our Savior, and the healing power of God is manifest in our souls. And all that is standard Christian language... And it can be a bit problematic when you start digging into it in a serious way. I mean, sure, it can roll over you with the words of the hymns and the words of the liturgy and so forth, and you can just take it for granted, yes, that's the Christian talk. Um, But when you really start digging into it, um, it, it gets a little bit more challenging um, uh, on the one hand, there is a there's an authoritarian interpretation of these texts, which apparently works for a lot of people, but has never worked for me. And that authoritarian interpretation is something along the lines of how uh, how our disobedience is uh, leading us to a state of damnation and eternal torment, and we are rescued from that by Christ's great sacrifice. And so, by grace, we are. We are freed from the consequences of our essentially sinful nature. And there are lots of you know, great Christian writers who are interpreted in that way. And, the, and, and I call it the authoritarian interpretation because the reason we know this is that we are told it. We are told that we are going to be damned because of our sins and we are told that we are going to be saved because of, through faith in Jesus and, and we just have to trust what we're told and so we have faith in Jesus because we're told to because we're told that Jesus loves us and because of that love we are rescued from that awful fate uh, beyond the grave. And that has never sat well with me, that whole package, that big picture view of what Christianity is about. And um, I was reminded recently of a, of a bit by George Carlin. I'm a big stand-up comedy fan, and so George is inevitable in that world. Uh, George ended up being an atheist, and uh, given the American experience of Christianity that he encountered, I don't blame him entirely. I can't go there, but I think in one of his bits, he uh, he expresses my discontent with that interpretation of Christianity, where he describes Christianity as, as, a, as God who created everything, who told you ten things that you're not supposed to do, and if you do those things, you're going to burn, and you're going to burn, and you're going to burn, and he doesn't want you to burn because he loves you. And that... That send-up of the Christian message, I think, expresses some of my discomfort with it. Where if God truly is a loving God, why would you set up the universe so that most people are going to burn in the afterlife forever and ever? There's got to be a better answer to that. Now, unlike George Carlin, I can't just go into atheism because, among other things, I've met the Lord. I can't deny the presence and reality of this transcendent uh, reality person uh, truth being uh, that I have encountered and I also can't uh, get away from the the nature of that encounter um, hitting me on an intuitive level and, and teaching me that whatever that reality is it has something to do with what I've come to express as truth, beauty and love That that the reality of God is a reality of truth beauty and love and whatever our understanding of that reality is, it has to be accountable to those three principles. So for me, coming back to these texts, the authoritarian answer, just accept it because the Bible tells you so, has never worked for me. And it ends up leading to that uncomfortable question of how loving really is God if this is, you know, God leads them in the wilderness and then they misbehave and so he sends them snakes um, and then says, no, I love you, that's why I'm sending you the snakes. Um, I, I end up coming at it from a much more symbolic uh, and metaphorical perspective. And when I look at these texts metaphorically, it starts to resonate with my actual experience of both life, but also the spiritual life in particular. And, and so I go to John, where, where he says, God did not send the Son into the world to contem- condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. I mean, that's the, that's the heart of today's big picture message. The message is a good one. And in the middle of Lent, we're reminded that the whole point is that we it's about our salvation. It's not about our condemnation. It's not about suffering, but about redemption. And the suffering is part of the redemptive story. So it's a context for what our experience is, which we're not particularly enjoying, but the the, the reassurance at this stage in Lent is that it's part of something bigger that is ultimately about truth and beauty and love. And so, again, you you get that language of uh, of, of those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already. Um, and this is the judgment, the condemnation, the judgment. It's not that God will blast you down into the nether regions after you die. The judgment is that the light came and the people love the darkness rather than the light. That's the judgment in itself. And that is where it starts resonating with me and starts really taking shape and taking life. And, and I've been on both sides of that equation. When the light has shone, metaphorically speaking, when something has come to cast a new light on myself, on my situation, on my behavior, sometimes... Um, the light has shown me good things and I've been able to celebrate and be grateful for those things. Sometimes that light has shown me things that I'd rather not have seen. And it, it does take a lot of maturity not to turn away. Um, because when we are shown things that we don't want to know, our instincts are to deny it or minimize it or just somehow forget about it. And we see this writ large in our online communications, in our political life and so forth, you know, um, I, I'm very taken, I, I keep, I can't look away from the political reality uh, in North America, um, and you have the QAnon phenomenon where you have true believers who are absolutely convinced of a bunch of things that have no basis in reality or fact, and yet no argument in the world will change anyone's mind, and... That is not just true of the QAnoners. That's actually true of humanity in general. And this is the business of loving the darkness rather than the evil. When the light shines, the problem with truths that we would rather not face is that they cause us to reevaluate who we are and our, uh, you know, uh, with the, the principles on which we've based our life, the meaning that has has given shape to the direction and purpose of our of our, our behavior, and rather than face the existential anxiety of of having to reinterpret everything and say, maybe I've been chasing the wrong thing for a long time and actually done a lot of damage in the process. And then I would hate myself and I flee from hating myself. And so the only, the only solution is to say that must not be true. And I don't know why it's wrong, but give me time and I'll find an argument to, to, to prove that it's wrong because it can't be true because of an emotional reality in me that is simply unable to face the facts. And all of us do it. QAnon is an easy target. Um, But all of us, when faced with uncomfortable truths about ourselves, there's there's a strong impulse to cleave to the darkness and hide in the darkness rather than come to the light because the light can be unpleasant. The long night of covid it is in many ways a light of COVID. And this is another theme that I keep coming back to in my own thinking about this unusual experience of the pandemic, that, that this unusual situation is in fact, you know, in some ways feels like darkness and deprivation, but in fact is shining a light on realities that we may not want to take a look at. And the question for us in COVID is, are we going to flee back to the darkness or are we going to embrace the light? Because the message of this stage in Lent is that only in embracing the light and going through the pain of, the, of essentially the walk to the cross, do we come to the other side? Do we come to redemption and salvation and, um, and the lack of condemnation and uh, joy and grace? So the the Christian message is about salvation. We are saved from that imprisonment where we are fleeing from truth because we can't face it. We we instinctively do that. I mean, the the readings today are so rich. Uh, You go to the Old Testament. The Israelites have already been rescued from Pharaoh. They are already on the journey. They are only on the journey because God is leading them. And even so, they grumble and complain because it hurts. And it's not as good as what they thought. I wanted to get to the Holy Land right away, the Promised Land. Bring it now, and we have this horrible food, and we're in the desert. What's going on? And of course, it that that, that backsliding leads them back into that imprisonment and the suffering. It's more obvious in the wizard in the in the in the uh, the wizard in the in the wilderness, the desert, uh, the desert. The, in, it's more obvious in the wilderness, but it's it's pointing at a fundamental dynamic in, hu, in the human psyche and in the journey from the imprisonment of self-centeredness to the light of other-centeredness. And other-centeredness is salvation. That when we live not for our own comfort or our own um, security or our own pride or our own sense of well-being, only when we live for the well-being of all and for the and, and for the knowledge of God do we discover paradoxically contentment and satisfaction and well-being and this is salvation those who believe in Jesus are not condemned because when you believe in Jesus when you're following the way of the cross when you are a uh, Constantly, in the engagement of walking away from your selfish needs towards the needs of others, you paradoxically become more and more blessed in your own approach to life so the The, the fundamental message that I take from today is that these stories are true. Not in the authoritarian sense because we're told it from the Bible and you have to go through it because God will punish us. It's none of that. It's the way that the universe has been set up and human experience is that in order to come to where God intends for us to be, for us to be the creatures that God intended, who are creatures of joy and bliss and contentment, the paradoxical way is the way of the cross, the way of Lent, the way of the pandemic. And if we engage in this process, seeking the will of God, seeking the kingdom of God, we will come through to the other side, to the promised land, to the resurrection, to the new life in Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.